Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, grant that your word might be spoken here with boldness, heard with attentiveness, and obeyed with readiness through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. First of all, let me just say that it's great to be back together with y'all this morning. Um, we had a lovely time away. It was restful and beneficial to the whole family, but it's, it's good to be back. Um, we missed y'all, and, and this is good. Um, so thank you for letting us get away, and um, thank you for being here today as we get back together. Um, so uh, my first sermon back in a few weeks, uh, I thought it should be a fun one. So we're going to talk about election this morning. Um, We're just going to dive right in. Um, Election is one of those theological topics that's become a battleground. People love to argue over God's will and free will and whether God chooses us or whether we choose God. Um, Classically, those who emphasize God's will um, over ours fall into what we call the Calvinist camp. Um, And those who emphasize our free will and our responsibility to turn towards God are often called Arminians. Now, y'all know me pretty well by now. And y'all know that I don't care much for controversy. Um, that's, that's not my favorite uh, area to, to engage in. Um, but election, I think, actually behind all of the arguments and all of the controversy that's raged on theologically throughout the centuries, and believe me, plenty of ink has been spilt over this topic. Um, in, in spite of all that, I think there's actually something behind it all that's really important for us to grasp. Um, and and it it's confronts us in our reading from Ephesians this morning. Um, the reason that we need a good grasp of this is not so that we can best someone in a theological debate. In fact, I hope you'll walk away from this um, still not quite sure of where I would fall into the Calvinist or Arminian camp or whatever. Um, it's, uh, we're not learning about this so that we can uh, just sharpen our theological skills Um, It's so that we can navigate between two extremes of pride and despair. A proper understanding of election helps us to navigate between those two extremes of pride and despair. I'll explain how that works in a little bit. Uh, For now, it's important that we attend to what the scriptures actually say. We don't want to go beyond the scriptures and impose upon them our own theological categories. We simply want to flesh out what the scriptures are actually saying to us. If we stick close to the words of scripture, that's the safest place we can be, doctrinally speaking. And what the scriptures are very clear about is this. God chose us. Before we ever chose God, he chose us. Uh, We read in uh, this passage from Ephesians, he chose us in him, in Christ. God chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not actually telling you anything controversial here. Um, God chose us. He predestined us. He chose us before the foundations of the world. That's right there in the scriptures. So whatever theological camp you fall into, you're going to agree that God chose us, whatever that means. I don't think what the scriptures are saying here is that before we were ever born, God picked and chose who would go to heaven and who would not. That doesn't seem to be what the passage is talking about. Um, Instead, this passage seems to be all about how God chose the church. So when I say God chose us, I mean he chose us, this group of people, the church. 
He chose the church before the foundation of the world. It's significant that Paul uses the plural language, the first person plural, us. He chose us. Paul doesn't just say he chose me, he chose you. Paul says he chose us. He chose the church. Now, there is incredible encouragement in knowing that God knew you before you were born and had a plan for your life, and that's true. But that plan was precisely to bring you into the body of Christ, the church. So often when we think of election, of God's choice of us, we fall into an individualistic mindset. We think of God choosing this person and not that person. But what matters first and foremost is not whether God chooses this person or that person, which is um, sort of beyond our pay grade, I think, um, and certainly beyond what the scriptures are talking about here. What matters first and foremost is that God chose the church. God chose us. Being an Anglican in the South, um, I'm sure you get asked this question as often as I do, or maybe uh, approaching as often as I get asked the question, but the question that most frequently comes to me is, why do we baptize infants? That's not a popular practice in the South. One of the reasons I give is that we don't believe the defining feature of my life is whether I've chosen God. That's not the first and foremost most important thing about me. The most defining feature is whether God has chosen us. Whether I choose to follow God matters, But it only matters because God has made it possible for me to follow him in the first place. Now, hear me clearly. What I'm not saying is that it doesn't matter what we choose to do with our life, as if we can just live however we want, because whether or not we'll be saved in the end is already settled. We'll talk more about that distortion in a minute. But for now, what I want you to hear is this. God has chosen the church. God has chosen us. He set us aside for his own special purpose. He has elected us. That's what we mean when we talk about election. We belong to him. That ought to be encouraging to us, and it ought to lead us on to other questions, like how did God choose us? And for what purpose did God choose us? And why did he choose us? And that's exactly what Paul is going to talk about in this first chapter of Ephesians. How did God choose us? God chose us in Christ. We read to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Listen for that that term, in Christ, in him. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. In him we have redemption. In him we have obtained an inheritance. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Do you hear those words like a refrain coming up over and over again throughout the passage? In Christ, in Christ, in him, in him. In fact, this phrase, in him or in Christ, appears ten times in the reading that we heard this morning and many more times throughout the book of Ephesians. To be in Christ is to be a part of his body, the church. It connects to the us that we just talked about. Those of us who are in Christ are those of us who are of his body. If we listen to what Paul says later in the book of Ephesians, it'll enlighten us. He's speaking to husbands about their behavior towards their wives, and he uses the uh, relationship between Christ and his church as an example. He says, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. 
For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. As members of the church, we are united to Christ, members of the body of Christ. The church is the union between Christ and humanity. To be in Christ is to be in the church. How do we participate in the life of the church? First of all, by showing up. You've all done that this morning, so good for you. But moreover, we participate in the life of the church through corporate worship, through prayer, especially through the sacraments of baptism and communion. Baptism, which brings us into the life of the church, and communion, which establishes that constant continual link uh, to Christ through the Eucharist. These establish a vital and nourishing connection between Christ and his church. Everything that is true of us as Christians is true because of Christ. We're blessed in Christ. We're predestined in Christ. We have redemption in Christ. We're united in Christ. We have an inheritance in Christ. It's all in him. It is our real and living connection to Christ through the church that enables us to receive all of these spiritual blessings that Paul is speaking of. God chose us, predestined us, blessed us in Christ. That is through the saving work of Christ made present to us through the church. So that's how God chose us. When did God choose us? Well, that's a a question that's going to result in a mind-boggling answer. God chose us before creation. He chose us in him, Paul says, before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world. That means that before God created anything at all, he had the church in mind. And I wonder if we realize what that means, if we realize the gravity of that. What that means is that the church wasn't made for the world. The world was made for the church. You see, sometimes we imagine that God made the world, and when everything got messed up by sin and Satan and suffering, God said, I need a plan B, so I'll make the church. That's kind of how we imagine things. Brothers and sisters, this is precisely backwards. That would be like building a a doghouse and then buying a dog because you need something to put in your doghouse. What happened was more like this. First, God said to himself, I want to make a church. I want to gather to myself a people that will become my sons and daughters. And then God said, I need somewhere to put these people. So he created the world. Now, I realize God probably wasn't talking to himself, and I'm taking some liberties here. But the scripture is clear that the church was chosen before the foundation of the world, before God made anything, before he even began the process of creation. He had the end goal, the, ch- the church, excuse me, in mind. He had you and me, the whole family of God in mind. So God chose us. God chose us in Christ. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. For what? To what end? For what purpose? 
Paul says he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. God did not choose us because we were holy. He chose us in order to make us holy. That's a vital distinction for us to make. Earlier I mentioned that all of this was necessary for navigating between pride and despair. And here is where that comes in. If God chooses us on the basis of our own merit, then one of two things will happen. Either we'll become proud of our own holiness, which pride is itself sinful, so we've ruined it the moment we become proud of it, or we'll despair of ever being holy. We'll just give up. If it's all up to me, if everything depends on me, those are the only two options. We will never be good enough for God to choose us on that basis. Never. And if that's what you're trying to do, if you're trying to be so good that you can earn God's approval, I need you to know this morning that it will never happen. And I need you to know that it doesn't have to. Because our holiness is not the reason God chooses us. It's the purpose for which he chooses us. Holiness, in other words, is our destiny. It's what God has in store for us. That's why Paul calls these people saints, people who have been set apart for holiness. Living a holy life is not something we do to earn the reward of salvation. Holiness, in a very real sense, is the reward. Now, becoming holy is a process. We are all of us saints in training. We're going through that long, difficult process of becoming holy in our hearts, in our minds, and in our bodies, and sometimes that process is painful. But the end goal is this. We get to be members of God's family. Sons, daughters in his household, people who belong with him. So God chose us. He chose us before creation. He chose us to be holy, but why? Why did God do all of this? Paul, once again, gives us the answer. In love, God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. In love. God chose us in love. Love was always God's motivation. He chose us in love. He created us in love. He redeems us in love. And I think this is part of why the scriptures give us the metaphor of adoption. I remember when I was standing in the courtroom finalizing the adoption of my second son, Nate, and at one point, one of the attorneys asked me to tell, him, uh, tell them a little bit about how Nate had become part of our family over the previous few months. And all I could think to say was this. I said, he's my son, and I love him. He's my son, and I love him. It was that simple. I chose him. I set him apart. I predestined him to become my son. I chose him because I loved him. What I want for you to hear this morning is the same thing said of you. That God looks at you and says simply, he's my son, I love him. She's my daughter, I love her. God chose us. God made us. God loves us. God redeems us, adopts us, gives us a new life, a new past, a new destiny. In love, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world 
to be holy and blameless before him. This is what God has done for us. This is what God is doing in us. This is what God will do for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.